Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to have you here for episode one-on-one, where I bring on Chase Damiano as my guest today. He is a business advisor, consultant, and executive coach dedicated to helping founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs get out of the weeds. And he's got a lot of experience. He previously served as the chief operating officer of Commonwealth Joe, a venture-backed beverage technology and distribution company headquartered in Arlington, Virginia, where he grew that business from zero to $5 million in revenue, 500-plus B2B customers, and 70 employees in five years. So some great insight he has um, and experience that he's able to share through this episode. I really appreciate him coming on and, and having a conversation. And I hope you guys enjoy this. I mean, I know there's a lot of trying times out there in the world, and um, I hope this is a maybe a reprieve from that where you guys can keep sharpening the saw on your end, keep trying to improve your own skills so that when we do out of this, you can be the best version of yourself. So hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Chase. Um, I know I did. So without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Chase Damiano. Let's get started. All right. well, Chase, it's awesome to have you on the podcast, man. I appreciate you joining. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, you know, when we caught up before, there was a lot of good nuggets that you shared that I really wanted to peel back the the onion layer on, if you will. Um, yes. Give a little insight just for folks listening and maybe not familiar with your name, just kind of the quick 30-second elevator you know, ride, what what you kind of do today, what's your, your kind of main focus? Sure. Um, uh, name, Chase Damiano, main focus is really uh, trying to help um, trying to help entrepreneurs with uh, building their companies. And the, the way that manifests is um, really giving them the time and attention that uh, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs need to cultivate something really incredible. And um, I, having had firsthand experience with this, I know how tough it can be in being an entrepreneur. We have to put on this mask, these many faces to our investors, our customers, our, uh, our employees, our team. And so I, I like working with uh, entrepreneurs to um, help navigate those challenges all the while, while building their companies in a uh, measurable way. Now, so you have a lot, lot of background where, was it Accenture you worked at for a while, right? Did I yeah, yeah. Right. I was at Accenture. That was my first role right out of school. Yeah. And then you went into some stuff, which I wanted to prime you a little bit with uh, as the CEO for Commonwealth Joe. So it was a, a beverage technology company. And, and did you mention, so was that, that was a family owned business? Yeah. So it started as um, a, a very highly gifted, um, very ambitious founder. Um, started with a small group of friends um, out of school and also his mom in uh, in the business. So his mom was the roaster, always made amazing quality coffee. And Commonwealth Joe served as more of the marketing and distribution arm of uh, such an amazing product. And that's how, that's how Commonwealth Joe got started. And I came in as their chief operating officer in 2014. Um, and then it just grew from there. Started into coffee, now moved a little bit more towards uh, distribution, beverage technology, but really handles all aspects. What were some of the things in, in that early, let's say the first year, because there's a lot of folks that listen in on this that are trying to start their own business, maybe it's their first business, or maybe are early into the thick of it. What are some of the things you guys learned that maybe worked well, or maybe it was like, oh my gosh, this was a, a complete disaster, but I'm glad we learned it. Anything you can share in that first you know, few months or year that would be important for folks? Yeah, yeah. Um, first year, let's see. So this would have been about mid-2014. Um, right at that point, uh, really, it was just uh, the CEO and myself. We were the only two full-time individuals. Uh, we had both left our uh, jobs, our full-time income secure world of Accenture. And was re- we're really trying to um, make it out on our own and make something of it. And I think in the early days, there is this sort of um, what I like to call a drunken walk that happens where you have a whole lot of ideas and you're really trying to make something stick. So you might try, in our case, trying to sell coffee online 
uh, trying to sell it at events, um, going into smaller boutique stores and seeing if they would love to have specialty roasted coffee on their shelf, trying to negotiate partnerships with Whole Foods. But how? It's not by knowing the regional director of Whole Foods. It's by walking into a Whole Foods and asking to talk to someone. Um, and there is a strong bias towards action, but really just trying to get anything to stick. And that in, in, in doing so, you learn more about what the market is really looking for and what they need, which might inform your future go-to-market strategy. It might inform your brand. It might inform your, uh, the product selection that you have, um, in this case, coffee. So in the case of uh, um, a technology product, it might inform your feature set or uh, really diving into what the customer pain points are. And so that was the biggest, um, probably one of the biggest lessons learned um, in, ju in just navigating from essentially a very uh, low revenue state and finding our ways to higher and higher revenue. And then, you know, with that is also trying to pay ourselves um, and be able to continue the party, if you will. Yeah. How did you go through that? So you obviously left your, your, cushy paying job. Uh, how did you, one, did you just have a lot of savings built up? Were you getting some from an investment standpoint, they were compensating with a little dollar? Like how, how did you know, like, okay, I have this run rate to actually be able to scale this so that I, I can actually do this for a living? Yeah, that's a good question. So it started with, so the long story short is when I, when I moved into the position, I had a small salary. I took a small salary because um, the thought is that uh, if you're continuously worried about the money aspects, the financial aspects, then it will become a large distraction away from the success of the business itself. And so, and even investors understand this as well, is, uh, you know, putting in um, a check into your company, um, sometimes we might feel, oh, I don't want to take that money for myself. I want to be able to uh, invest the proceeds into the business, but also realizing that you are a part of that business and you're a key person that is driving the outcome of the business. And if you're, if you have a bunch of part-time jobs and trying to constantly worry about the financial aspect, then it's detracting and distracting your focus away from actually making the company great. So that's one piece of it. But in order to make that transition from this Accenture W2, like salaried world, um, moving into an area of high degree of uncertainty, um, of course, it's really a mental game. Uh, and that the, the mental thing that really clicked was um, a bias towards trying new things, but also knowing that if this didn't work out, um, that I, I could always go back. I felt very, I felt comfortable and, you know, and maybe these were just my personal conditions, but I felt comfortable that um, either Accenture or another company, I'd be able to find a job somewhere. That, so that financial insecurity, that scarcity mindset around it really just lived inside my own head. It wasn't an accurate view of reality. Um, now this is also back in 2014, like finding, finding a job was like much better than for instance, back in 2008. So the business can like uh, the economic conditions were slightly different when this happened, but with those, with those two things in place, it made the switch easier from a more, a corporate job into some high degree of uncertainty that by being a startup. And one other thing to say to that, so, cause that's a great point that the fact that, you know, it's not like, oh my gosh, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to be living on the street and homeless or like, that's not the case. Like you have a skill set, you have a, a degree, multiple right degrees, I think. Um, so you have some opportunities there where you can go back to. And I think as long as you're okay with failing, like, hey, this may not work out. I think that's a, a hurdle for a lot of folks is they don't want to get into it, not because of, hey, this could be really successful. I, I almost they don't want to have that L on the record, if you will. Um, so I think that's important. If you go into that, you talk about the mindset, it's a positive, optimistic mindset, but Hey, you know what? There's a fallback plan. If for whatever reason it doesn't work out, yeah. it's important. hundred yeah. percent. Failure is not an end state. And it's also not a, it's not a binary outcome. There is no, um, decision. Like if you make a decision, it may feel that, the pathway of life is diverting into one future state, which is success, and then a second future state, which is failure. But in reality, um, it doesn't work that way. 
In reality, it is making, it's all about making the attempts. And as you walk down the pathway that you're going down, you will inevitably encounter failure. It's almost a given. Surely each of us are, each of us might look upon our own lives, whether it's personal or professional or wherever it is, and there's some sort of feeling of a failure. But realizing that that is, that is a temporary state and realizing that you can move beyond that state is really the pathway to continue learning um, and growing. And so I, I believe that on the pathway to success, um, there are lots and lots of failures. In fact, all, all of my biggest learnings in my life came from what others might perceive as failures. And I think that is a failure is an amazing way to learn because it just teaches you, okay, here's, here's what I won't do next time. Now I know. And so there's so much richness in that insight. Um, you get to learn, you get to learn and take away so much. And then you also get an opportunity to uh, help others on their journeys too. Now you have a story, Hey, here's what I did. And um, here's what you might be able to learn from me. And so I see that's a sign of that's generosity. And now you're lifting everyone up. But as you said, it's a total mindset thing. It's realizing that it's like that word, that failure is like such negative and dark connotation around it. And it's like, oh, it's like something I don't want. I think failure should be embraced. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, well, so speaking of uh, the, the Commonwealth, Joe, for another minute is because my curiosity is around you mentioned it was your friend's mom was the roaster and had all, you know, was the one making it. How did you get, so were you always going to be a technology company? We say beverage technology, right? Not just selling coffee beans, right? So there was some, some play around it. How, how did you decide to go that route? And then how did that ultimately help you differentiate from the market? If it did? Sure. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think, um, you know, it really, so we, we, we talked about this drunken walk, where we're trying to make anything stick. And then on the pathway in doing so, you get to look at the business performance in each of those areas. You get to see, well, how is our online store doing? How is our grocery channel doing? How's our events channel doing? How's our office coffee channel doing? How's our brick and mortar retail channel doing? And as, as you play in all these spaces, you get to see, okay, here are the things that are working and here are the things that are not working then you take this portfolio of ideas and uh, share it with people. And then you start getting a sense to be like, whoa, a lot of people are really excited about this idea, but a little less so about this one. And then you start diving into like, okay, what are the problems? Like if this is going that well, what are, what's the actual problem that we're solving for people? And so on the pathway into um, going from being a coffee roasting company to a beverage distribution company, to a beverage technology company, and still operating those things today, um, there's just a lot of learning, a lot of seeing where the market is taking us, almost that uh, we flow down the river without the paddle, where it's just wherever the river takes us. Now, that being said, there's also strategic decisions that need to be made that need to be made to address opportunities that might not have been um, apparent at the time, but are always clear in hindsight. Um, so on, on that journey, it, it wasn't a, um, the company is going to be this. It is, it's having an openness to the flow of events and allowing the comp company to evolve organically. And is that how you guys ultimately, because in terms of like building revenue streams and, and kind of, you know, I think you said went from zero to 5 million basically in a, in a very short time. Uh, was that because you got more focused and listened to your, basically the market instead of just being bullheaded and say, nope, we're going this route. Would you, would you attribute the success to that or would you, would it be something else? Yeah, I think um, where, where the company really took uh, off was in the office distribution. Um, trying to serve a underserved market as it came to coffee. And um, in that pathway, that really did come from listening to customers, talking with customers, understanding their pain point, understanding their behaviors when uh, solutions like ours were not in place. 
and trying to design something that was really for them. Because at the, at the end of the day, um, our customer is really our boss. When it comes to operating a business, it's like we, you know, ev- I believe everyone is in a position of service. And so uh, the customer really guides a tremendous amount of our decision-making as it comes to creating the right products, the right services, the right features um, that are going to genuinely make their lives better. And if you have that attitude towards it, then um, you will find that you're able to solve a lot of people's problems. What's your, what's your coffee of choice? Coffee of choice. Uh, well, I enjoy coffee from all regions of the world. And uh, I, coffee is very much um, a function of terroir, just like wine is. And if you have a high quality coffee roaster, then they're able to bring out this um, natural uh, element to each coffee from these specific regions. And uh, so that my favorite ones are the ones that um, are able to articulate uh, the characteristics of that region of the world um, mo- in, in a most nuanced way. And I know that's a lot of coffee snobbery. <laughs> Do you drink it black? Do you put anything in your coffee? How do you? Oh, all black, all the time. I love uh, I love hot coffee, like a pour over drip coffee, and I love cold brew coffee as well. Two completely different brewing methods that each pull out a whole uh, symphony of flavors. Again, this is my coffee snobbery talking. <laughs> that seems like a new crave the uh, the the nitro cold brew that type of stuff. It's like a isn't that just come around like the last couple of years, I'm assuming? Or it seems yeah, like maybe? Yeah, very, very recently. And it's really changed the coffee industry because for the first time, so for a while, um, Starbucks and Pepsi had a partnership to create the Starbucks Frappuccinos. And they're the ones that sit on the shelf of places like Target and Walmart and in the refrigerators at convenience stores. And that was really the first coffee innovation that allowed brewed coffee to be packaged. Um, until cold brew, when the when the innovation of cold brew was created, it was uh, it allowed an opportunity for more craft coffee players to enter the market um, by being able to package their coffee. And you can package it in a keg, in a can, in a carton, in a bottle. And now it's all over the shelves of uh, grocery stores all over the world, um, convenience stores all over the world, and um, and in beverage distribution companies too. And so, yes, it's uh, it's really taken the world by storm because of that convenience factor. So I want to transition a little bit into some of the stuff you're doing today. Let me ask you this. Um, why did you have a calling to be more of a coach consultant? How did that happen? Is that something back from childhood? You always kind of were involved in something like that. And it's fun. I, how did you get into that? Because that's as someone that used to be a former golf instructor, I used to teach golf for a living, was a coach and just some mentorship stuff I do now, like it's a different, you got to have a different personality to kind of, you know, untangle a lot of things with that. Give me a little insight in that for you. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, the notion that this would be a good, um, this would be a appropriate pursuit for me. Um, really, I believe started back in college where, um, I just loved this sort of ability or, um, interest in helping others sort of figure things out. And it's very different than coming in and be like, Hey, I've been there and done that. And I had, and here's like my advice, here's my guidance. Um, it's really more about listening and it's really more about understanding and it's really more about empathizing. And so, um, I, 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 I felt uh, privileged in that I was the person that a lot of close family members and friends would uh, take their uh, challenges to. That if they had a hard decision to make, that uh, they wanted to see what I had to say about it. But a lot of times it wasn't me saying anything. It was just helping people be understood in a way. Um, and of course, you know, I would say something too. But that sort of itch um, has always been around and it pervaded as well in uh, the different companies that I worked for in the past. Um, And I really wanted to see uh, what that world could be like. And so um, I I think even managers, like managers specifically within companies are coaches. 
in a way, um, really trying to empower their team to do the best job that they can and to help them be their best selves, both inside the workplace and outside of it. Uh, you know, even if that means that the current position that they're in isn't necessarily the right fit in the long run, I think that's okay. But it's a genuine interest in helping others to go get whatever they want and to go, go tackle it. And I think, so I think a lot of those converged uh, recently into uh, now, now what I do. And so how, how do you get a lot of, because there's a, there's a lot of folks out there that, you know, they're independent, right? They're, they're, whether it's business coaches, consultants, those types, how do you personally go about um, getting new, new clients? Is it, uh, is it referrals you get in? Is there, you, you kind of grassroots going out there calling, like how, how do you kind of get your name out there and some of the stuff that you can provide value with? Sure. It's, uh, this one is really, I am very fortunate to have had uh, built a network, both in my time at Accenture and Commonwealth Joe. And uh, when I decided to make the switch and uh, get more into business advising and coaching, um, I just talked to people. And uh, others had shared that guidance with me as well, to just go, go out and talk to people. So I just started putting meetings in my calendar. I wanted to grab coffee with folks. I just wanted to catch up. It doesn't even need to be for business reason whatsoever. Again, just like trying to listen and understand. And uh, people will share. It's like, okay, like here's what's, here's what's going on in my business or here's what's going on in my life. You just listen and understand. And in by doing so, um, it, it sort of creates an attraction to the right people. Um, and there's like, all, there can almost be like a chemistry to it where it's like, ah, okay, I think I can actually help this person in a genuine and authentic way. Um, would you like to explore what that might look like? Let's see. Uh, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But again, on, um, it's not about failure or success. It's just about repetition and uh, trying new things in order to see what works and what doesn't. So um, sometimes that means uh, writing blog post or uh, posting on LinkedIn. Sometimes that is uh, sending out an email blast. Sometimes that's um, you know just getting out and talking to people or attending an event. And it's just trying different things um, the, the answer is, uh, the answer may be unique to you and your business. Well, you made a great point there really on the networking. And I, and I think that's where a lot of folks get tripped up is they don't put value out there in a networking sense. And then when it's time for an ask, it's like, who do I go to? I don't have this network of people. And I think that's really a, an important note is that, and that's something I've been really, um, I guess, diligent on over the last gosh, I don't know how many, five, six plus years of just like one being good to people. I think people can see the genuine, you know, like actually liking people and caring about them. But two is like checking in and actually seeing how they're doing and seeing, Hey, is there anything I can help or providing value? Like you're saying, whether it's blog posts or otherwise, um, you know, Gary V, I, I mentioned I could be, I'm using my Gary V books here to hold up my microphone, but like Gary V, I think he says it a very visual, um, you know, kind of part of this is like the 5149, right? is you go 51% of the way, it doesn't always have to be the 50-50, is like if you go a little mm. bit more and provide that value, that could ultimately help because it is a longer play. It's not like, you know, always trying to strip away um, and, and, you know, get someone to do something right now. It's just saying, hey, you know what? This might be a relationship down the road. Let's just keep exploring um, to your point. I don't know if you, if you have any other insights on networking or like maybe some other ways people can try to start networking better besides just throwing out random LinkedIn connections to people. Yeah, yeah. One of my um, one of my friends, Jeremy Martin. He, um, I would I was trying to figure out like how do I go about this, and he um, he gave me some really great guidance, which is just just help, even in a little way. Even if it means like uh, buying someone's coffee, if it means uh, introducing someone to someone, if it means reviewing their pitch deck sharing your thoughts back to, it just means listening and understanding. It can mean so many things and it doesn't have to be big. It's just coming with an attitude of helpfulness and the rest ends up taking care of itself is what I've found. 
Well, so tell me a little bit about your, because you and I have similar philosophies on this. I mean, I, mean, I want to hear from your perspective and maybe this is how you help, you know, clients you work with, but kind of that finding your purpose, you know, we hear that a lot, right? Find your purpose, you know, but kind of that deeper understanding of, of I think, self-awareness, right? That's been big for me. And just, you know, how that you can actually strip away a lot of the lack of a better phrase, crap, right? That's in your life and really be a little bit more focused on and intentional. Can you speak a little bit about your beliefs on that and maybe some things that could help others um, look at their life a little differently? Mm. Finding your purpose and self-awareness. Okay. Um, I think that they're both uh, a little correlated. And if you're in pursuit of uh, making a change, then I think both can be extremely helpful. So to give you an example, when I was looking to make um, changes in my life, I'm an avid journaler. I enjoy journaling. I use journaling less so as a daily diary, so to speak, but more of a emotional conversation with myself. It's a record of what I'm really thinking and really feeling. And sometimes I would write in my journal based off of, uh, oh, this is stressful, or I'm frustrated with something. Or something that's like, wow, I was really... um, I was really blessed or I was really uh, joyful today. And if you create enough entries, then you may start to see patterns that in the day-to-day running and operating of our lives might not be as clear as if you're able to step back and almost analyze yourself. And, uh, and that's what I did. And I found it to be an incredibly helpful way for me to become more clear on the things that I wanted, the things that I was doing but did not want, um, what my value is, and how I can actually help others, and then maybe some things that I might be really, really good at but I don't love doing. And you can just see, and I and I really did this, and. I, for anyone who's uh, an avid journaler, like treat your journal as a data set and go through and either have someone or yourself actually analyze the entries. And so uh, this, uh, this, might sound, um, this might sound next level, uh, but I created a database and I categorized a bunch of entries that were correlated to certain themes in my life that I was really, really trying to figure out I couldn't quite see um, the answer in the day-to-day frustrations and the day-to-day joys that were happening because like we are, we are in the weeds of our own lives. You know, we live them every moment of every day. We're right here right now. Um, But being able to use this as a record to take a step back and see there's a broader picture here. Oh, this is what I'm actually saying to myself in these entries. This is what I'm at. This is what I actually mean, not just what I'm writing in the moment, but this is what I mean. And that served me very well to better understand um, myself, but also like what really gets me going. And that's about, that's really finding your purpose. It's like, what are those things that are bigger than you, that you believe in? I believe everyone is visionary. People say it's like, okay, having vision is a skill set, but really what is a vision? Vision is a some sort of desired state in the future. A vision is a goal. And so we have these pictures inside our own mind of what we, what our ideal life is or what our, our ideal conditions are. And the clearer we can articulate and see that picture, the easier it is to realize that some of this stuff is are things that you actually want as you and a person. But some of that stuff is what society wants you to have, or maybe your parents wanted you to have, or maybe your partner wanted you to have, or maybe even your kids want you to have. Other loved ones that are very close to you that might be able to, that might influence you on um, different levels that you may not be fully aware of. And so what are, what's the, what are the voices in your head that are actually you? And I think again, by journaling and reflecting on those sorts of things, we can really 
start to understand. It's like, okay, like, what do I, what do I really want? Like, what do I want to do? And then once you realize it, you can structure and make the changes in your life to go and pursue that. How often are you reflecting? Is that like, will you look back the next day? Will you wait a week and then go back? What's the cadence you found that helps you in terms of that data set? Mm, so for journal reflecting, I reflect on it when I have a hard challenge to solve. So I don't have a cadence, but, um, but I know that it's there when I need it. Now, reflecting on other aspects of life, such as finances or um, the habits I have or um, the people I'm meeting, the way, the way I use my time, um, that's more on a monthly basis. It's almost like, uh, you know, we, we are sometimes, the, you know, the CEOs of our own life. We get to run our lives and we have some, uh, in fact, a large amount of autonomy in the way that we go about living it. So... I, I want to create, uh, and I did, sort of a, a management report. End of the month, we've closed the books. Uh, we've, we've got all the records in. So what, does, uh, what did I do with my month? What did I do last month? And that is a monthly period of reflection for me to help me make sure that um, I'm living the way that I want to live, which to me is like, yes, it's in a macro sort of like month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year state, but it's also just living life every day. A lot, a lot of uh, like daily habit questions are, okay, did, did I live my day today as I want to live my life? It's like, did, it was today the perfect day? Today. And uh, the more times that I can say yes to that question, then I feel that life is great. Life is good. But the more times I say no to it, then I can see that there might be an adjustment that needs to be made. Um, and then I can just get it back on track. So that's how often the reviews happen. <laughs> yeah. That, and well, the reflections, because I, I mean, we go through this all the time is, you know, we try to instill good habits, but it seems like there's a lot of bad habits or a lot of wasted effort, if you will. Um, so I like that management report, if you will, end of month and just reflect back. And, and that's something I know I need to do a hell of a lot more. You know, sometimes some weeks you think you have it together, but then the reality is that you don't. And it's like, where did this month go? Like, oh my gosh, you know, we're already in March here. It's like, where did, we're two months into the, the new year. Uh, what have I accomplished? And I think that is a relevant thing that a lot of folks can't take from this. Um, yeah, de definitely about like what I have accomplished. Like, what do I have to show for it? Uh, sometimes with the reporting is that when people don't make the progress that they anticipated, we feel bad. And in that bad feeling, it causes us to create the mental story that, oh, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not good enough. Um, maybe this was the bad idea. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. And if that, that mental chatter um, can be a huge barrier to change. Um, but if we just accept the results that they are, it's like you had a, I, I'll give you an example. Last month, yeah, last month was my February review. I've been trying to get really better about my sleep. So um, trying to go to bed on time, uh, trying to wake up at a reasonable time and trying to stay asleep. Staying asleep is a, a challenge for me. Um, to the point where I'm almost ready to go get a sleep study done or getting there. Have you read the book, Why We Sleep by Dr. Matthew yes, Walker? Absolutely. Phenomenal. Yes, it was a great book. Uh, sleep, is, for those that don't know, sleep is related to everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I have, a, I have a goal for how I want my sleep to be to make me feel the best every day. Uh, but last month, I didn't meet my goal. Does that mean that, um, you know, one narrative is, you know, I can give up on my goal or maybe I'm just not disciplined enough to like get to my goal or man, I wish I really would have done better. Like, oh, ouch. Um, or is the other narrative that was just like, you know what, this is what February had to say. And no, I did not meet my goal, but now I can try again. Now I know that, um, that, yeah, maybe my goal is unrealistic. 
and maybe I can temper and adjust. Um, but I don't, I don't ever want to set myself something and then just make myself feel bad for not doing it. Why would I do that to myself? Making well, myself so, feel we're bad. We're so bad to ourselves, it seems like, right? We, so we say the nicest things to other people, but we like beat ourselves up mercilessly for some, for some reason. I don't know why. Yes. We're not kinder. Um, yeah. And I think it, uh, and I, I, am, uh, I am one of the most guilty of this, where um, living a life of high achievement or productivity and really like trying to um, you know, move things in a big way internally, not good enough. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. You could do better the next time. Blah, blah, blah. A lot of negative self-talk. And that mental chatter is like, if I, if I were to somehow record that chatter and then play it on an audio tape and then listen back to it, uh, you know, we would be appalled. It's like, oh my gosh, like, what is this person saying to me? I don't have to tolerate that, you know? Um, and were I, were I to say those things to another person or were I to say those things to my son, it's like how, uh, you know, how disciplined or, or rigid or uh, resentful that I might be of him or another person. Oh my gosh, that sounds awful. So why am I doing it to me? I am my own person. And that mental chatter inside is not who I am. It's a monkey mind that's in there talking to me, trying to tell me, trying to keep me down. Um, it could lift you up as well. It can give positive thoughts, but the fact that they give any variance at all, it's not you. It's, it's, it's different. It's separate from you. Yeah. There's a great book. I don't know if you, if you read it called Awareness by Anthony DeMello. No, and I don't know that one. It's a, it's a phenomenal book. And I, Tim Ferriss recommended it a while back. So I'm like, all right, let me read this. It's a shorter read but it's around self-awareness, which I think you would like. And uh, it, it, to your point, the reason I thought of that was he talks about the I versus me, right? It's almost like mm. you're one person internally, but then it's almost like standing outside your body and viewing yourself different. Mm -hmm. And it allows you to change your perspective um, to ultimately get to a better spot. So I'd, I'd absolutely, mm -hmm. I'm going to probably read it again here soon. I'd absolutely recommend that book, Awareness, and it's Anthony DeMello. Um, Got is, it. Uh, is the author, but it's, I think it's, it was written like 40 years ago or something like that, 40, 50 years ago, but, nice. um, okay. And, and, you know, you mentioned something too, I'll wrap around with is the habits, you know, and you probably done this with your sleep as you're learning. And like a, a year ago, if I took a step back a year ago, you know, my like bedtime pattern, it was sometimes I'd go to bed at, you know, 10 or 10 30, 11, you know, somewhere around there. I've, I've been pretty diligent the last couple of years after hearing Dr. Walker, I think on Joe Rogan, like two years ago or something like that mm -hmm. before I read his book. But what I was still doing was I was still like looking at Instagram, like, you know, for 20 minutes or something like that before I actually try to lay down in bed, which is a no, no, which is not good for you. So like, I think implementing new habits as an example, like I'll share stories like I've started to do over the last probably two to three months is like, you know, 10 o'clock hits right around there. It's, I'm basically doing some stretching, which is important from a fitness standpoint. And then around 10, 15 to 10, 30, I'm reading for 30 minutes and I'm in bed by 11 because that hits me where I wake up in the 630 to seven o'clock range. So it gets me my seven plus hours um, minus obviously, you know, you got to be in bed, you know, that doesn't count as your seven hours. You actually have to be asleep for seven. But so trying to give myself about eight hours in bed, which I know, you know, will equate to more than seven hours of sleep, but like that, just changing the habit. Cause I was not like that. But I think part of that is you got to put that extra effort in, right. Um, to be able to figure out what works for you and everyone has a different schedule. So you got to figure out what's best for you. Yeah, you got it. Habit, habit formation is really about a decision that's made in the moment. Every day we decide, we, every day we make the decision, either consciously or unconsciously, to wake up to an alarm, uh, to eat a meal or not eat a meal, and to get ready for work and either go, or if you're not working, then to not go. And each one is a decision. And uh, the more routine things are, the less they feel like decisions. It's just kind of like, go with the flow. But as we create new habits, like we must actively participate and we must actively make the decision as we're forging 
um, those new pathways. So for me, it's uh, uh, right now, uh, my exercise is uh, either going on a walk in the morning or hitting a stationary bike. Uh, it's not very glamorous, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but the it's really about the decision to go. And so in the moment in which it's the either the time spot that I want to go, it's it's having a conversation with myself to say, I'm going to do it or I'm not going to do it. And I can give myself excuses or reasons why that I don't want to do it. I'm either tired or I have other things to do. I have emails to check. Um, I want to go read. I want to you know, go do something else. Um, but habits is really just making the decision to do. And then you do enough of those decisions, then it starts feeling more like routine in which you're not making the decision anymore. And this is what happened with uh, meditation for me is I've been meditating um, off and on for, I would say nine or 10 years now. It started by getting the Headspace app right when it first came out, doing their take 10. And it, you know, it got me into it. First time I ever meditated, it was five minutes, I fell asleep. You know, that's a pretty common story. Um, but this uh, last year, I felt that I want to go more. I want to do more. And so I made a non-negotiable commitment with myself to meditate every day. And what that means is that I was going to meditate no matter what. I was going to meditate under any circumstance or any condition, also no matter when. So right when I made this commitment to myself, uh, we, uh, my partner and my son, we took a trip to Thailand and uh, which was an amazing trip. It's an amazing country and everyone should go. Uh, but what it meant is that when I remembered to meditate, I was tired or jet lagged, or maybe I had uh, too many beers. Oh, I gotta remember, I gotta meditate, but it's in these imperfect conditions. Um, as it bled back into kind of day to day, maybe it meant that I was among my coworkers. Uh, maybe it meant that I was out in public uh, maybe it meant that I couldn't get the peace and quiet that I usually have in meditating. And I had a bunch of people around me. And so, uh, but really it was about the decision to do it under any circumstances, under any conditions, and no matter what, every day. Now, if I missed one, was I going to make myself feel bad about it? No, just do it the next day. But once I made that commitment to myself, I was going to do it any day, no matter how long, even for five minutes, even for one minute. Um, as soon as I made that commitment, the way my body sort of like fought it a little bit and, uh, okay, we're going to choose, you know, it resulted in a lot of inconsistent schedule and uh, it appeared at different times of the day. Um, but over time, uh, it was almost like my body decided for itself, we're going to do it as soon as we wake up. And after that has happened, it's just now a normal part of the routine. I don't have to make the decision to do it every day. And therefore, it becomes almost effortless. And so, as, as you mentioned before, it's like, it's really that like commitment or mindset around it to just, do you want to do it? Are you going to make a commitment to yourself to do it? And if you're not doing it, you haven't made the commitment to myself. I have not made the commitment to myself to exercise every day. And that's why, and that is why I don't but I have made a commitment to meditate every day. And that is why I do. Yeah. There's a great, great quote. Actually, it might be Tim Ferriss again. I might be giving him a lot of credit in this episode, but uh, it's something along the lines of it's better to go hundred percent than 98%. Um, and maybe it was somebody he had on as a guest, but it's, if you give yourself that out mm. of like, yeah, maybe I can do it. Well, then it's like, now one day turns into three turns into a month. And then it's like, Oh yeah. But if you're like, I have to do it every day. It's not that you're forcing yourself, but in a way you are. Um, which is sometimes I think we need to hold ourselves accountable for things. So mm -hmm. that's great that yes. you're doing that. And obviously you, I'm that. assuming you've seen the benefit of that um, when you wake up yeah. and, and it kind of sets you on the tone for the day. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. We could probably Thanks have a whole asking. talk on just a meditation. Um, we actually might set that up because I would love to hear, you know, some things that some deeper things that you're doing and maybe you can psychoanalyze me and some of the things I'm doing. I wonder if there's any like, correlation there some some cool stuff so uh, we'll oh i would love that i'd love that. to set that up um well help me this as we're kind of wrapping up here you know obviously you're working with a lot of founders a lot of you know ceos entrepreneurs what are some of the things that are going on maybe in their head that you're hearing more recently and maybe it's something that others should be aware of 
um, or maybe things that they should be thinking about? Anything in particular you would add um, that might be valuable for folks listening in again that are in that maybe I want to start a business or early stage approach? Yeah, yeah. The um, the founders, CEOs, and leaders I work with is um, they're trying to solve um, going from where they are to where they want to where they want to be. And uh, you know, the adage is like, okay, 10x your business. Okay, so um, in in this case, it it, it it is that it's starting at a um, seven figure range and like trying to get to the eight figure range in terms of revenue. And usually if you're that size, you also have a team. Um, usually in that size, you uh, even have maybe some hierarchies or um, uh, managers on your team. So different positions, different skill sets, and uh, always on the mind of, um, of founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs is like, how do I, how do I grow this thing? And um, I want to help get um, I want to help instill a clear vision and I want people to almost behave as an extension of me in a way. Cause a lot, like a lot of times the founders, like they are the owners of the purpose and the vision where we're going. Um, they hire people, they bring, bring, bring them into the business, make sure money is in the bank. They set standards for culture and then get out of the way in many cases. And that pathway is not, uh, necessarily very clear. But uh, if you're really trying to scale and grow, it is um, starting to um, manage the company as a whole and being less and less of a uh, technician or a manager, like someone who is like doing the actual work. And so there's like a, there's a transition that must happen. And sometimes it is um, just helping founders articulate what they want. Where here's where we want the company to go. Here's how we're going to get there. And uh, here's where I want the team to make decisions on their own. Um, and here's where I want to be involved. Um, and it's helping to clear up their time in a way so that can, they can stay focused on the future. And they, they can stay f- focused on seizing opportunities, understanding the market and their industry, understanding their customers, and allowing it to actually grow. And uh, so they can think more about that 10x transformation. Um, while the team becomes uh, the team becomes a lot happier because there's clarity in their position, um, they know what decisions they can make, they know what budget they can spend, um, and it's done in a way that uh, people are excited about and they agree to, and uh, that's also rooted in teamwork and empathy. And uh, so I'd say those sorts of things are on people's minds, on trying to figure out it's like okay, exactly, okay, I've made it this far, so now what? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and excited. I think that's good awareness, at least for folks to consider, especially if they are very early in. It's like, all right, if, if I start to get to that point, how do I not move out of the way? But how do I look at business for more of that macro level and let other folks yeah. kind of be in the day to day? So that's great. Yeah. Um, and when you start, you have to be in the day to day. Right. Because yeah. that is how you, you, you're, you're actually, if you're a solo founder, have some co-founders, like you guys are actually doing the work. All of you are. Um, but as you grow, that, that does not always stay the case. And I'm not saying that you should get things off your plate that you love. Maybe part of your work does give a tremendous amount of energy. And that's why you got into business. That's, that's, the, that's part of your purpose. I'm not saying to um, empower the team to do all of those things. Maybe you want to keep a part of that. Um, but as, as we grow more and more things happen such as maybe that clarity is a little lost, or maybe those decisions were made unconsciously as opposed to intentionally, not by anyone's fault, but just by the matter of circumstance. Gotcha. Jade, this is awesome, man. Where where can everyone uh, connect with you online? Where's the best way to catch up with you? Sure. So, uh, LinkedIn is great. Um, it's just Chase Damiano, D-A-M-I-A. N-O. And uh, you can find me at chasedamiano.com. And uh, those are, that's pretty much the only two places. <laughs> awesome, man. Hey, thanks for the uh, the chat today. This was good insight and uh, glad to be able to uh, get together with you and uh, learn a little bit more about you and what you guys are doing. Yeah, thanks, Brian. This is, this is really fun. I had a good time. 
Well, I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Chase. Certainly appreciate him coming on and sharing his journey with everyone. And I did want to make one other mention, something we talked about in there is kind of as a recap here that I think would be valuable for everyone um, is around meditation. And the reason I want to bring that up here is, you know, we're in such trying times right now. They're unprecedented times. A lot of us are in situations we've never been in before. But also a lot of us are staying at home and we have to be at home, can't go out and do a lot of stuff that we normally do, especially as we're in this spring weather in a lot of parts of the country where it's warmer. This is such a great opportunity to be with yourself and improve yourself, uh, both physically, but really mentally if you can. And I, I know a lot of folks don't focus on the mental side. Um, I was there um, a few years ago where I thought I had it all. I thought I knew what I was doing. Um, I just assumed that's just how I was. That's just how I act. That's just how I am. And what I realized when I started to pull back the layers more was that I could be so much more than that. I can improve myself so much more for myself, but for my family, for friends, and impact the world in a different way. Um, and that's the approach I took to it, where I took that medit uh, meditation as a powerful tool. So my encouragement out there, I'm not going to stand in a soapbox. If you do it, you do it. If not, you don't do it. But I would encourage everyone that is looking for that edge, looking to be better as we come out of this pandemic, to use meditation as a tool to really look inward and focus. Um, because what it brings out in you is an inner focus of like, are there certain things that you know, could be better with your life? Are there things that are bothering you? Sometimes those things pop up in your mind as you're meditating. And ultimately, it's not so much that meditation is going to solve your, you know, your challenges because, you know, self-awareness really needs to be there first. But if you can meditate and you can sit alone in silence, um, or even if it's a guided meditation for an extended period of time, now you have a better chance to sit with your thoughts and accept your thoughts and be vulnerable to your thoughts, things that have happened recently, but also things that have happened back in childhood that you need to address and solve. You're going to be better equipped to do that. So I think, you know, meditation has to happen first. You have to understand that you can do it because most people aren't going to say, all right, I'm going to work on myself today and I'm going to sit for 30 minutes, think about my past, write down maybe some of the um, challenges that I had or some of the, the demons that I had to overcome or haven't had to overcome yet. Um, we don't tend to do that. For me, what was helpful was meditating first and using that as, uh, as the guide to be able to then be more self-aware and really dig down into uh, kind of quote-unquote demons of different areas of my life that I want to improve. So hope that's some encouragement for everyone out there to you know kind of use meditation as something that can help you lead towards self-awareness and then ultimately self-discovery. We'll get into those on some maybe later episodes, but um, hopefully this is a great starting ground for everyone out there. I hope you guys, you know, are doing your best you can. I hope you're staying safe and hopefully we'll be out of this soon. Um, again, love to connect with folks online. If you'd like my website, brianondraco.com or check me out on Instagram or Twitter at Brian Andreco. Hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon.